It's time for building the game, the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. Hello and welcome to Building the Game, a documentary podcast. Today is Monday, May 8th, and you're listening to episode 571. I am the guest who invites himself, your moderator Chris, formerly of Flip the Table, currently of Mall Night Long, a virtual game show experience. With me as always is Jason Slingerland, the guy who's with you as always most of the time. How are we doing, Jason? Hey, Chris. Doing good, doing good. Yeah, you said, I'll do the intro. We'll see how long till it takes people to figure it out. But the second, the energy in your voice is just like, there's like, there's no way that's Jason. Oh, God, what's wrong with my, did I turn it to one and a half X accidentally? Is that what happened? So it has been a while since you've been here. I don't, uh, I don't remember how many episodes, but it's usually 50 to 100, I feel like, before you say, hey. I want to talk again. And I'm like, all right, let's do it. You tell if me it's what a round number episode. You're inviting me. Yeah. If it's, if it's not a weird number, yeah. I'm inviting myself. That's, that's a good rule of thumb. It's the truth. Yes. That you are not wrong about that. Yes. Yes. So, um, yeah, yeah. And speaking of round number episodes, I'm already, uh, I'm already working on some cool stuff for, uh, well, hopefully cool stuff for episode 600, which is now only 29 weeks away. 29 weeks away. Set your alarms, kids. <laughs> which is still half a year. I, You know, it's funny because the last time I was like, I'm going to track it so that like for 500 so that I'm aware. So like I wrote them all, all the episodes out like on a spreadsheet with the dates uh, and then somewhere in the middle messed it up. So then it was like a rush to get it done because I I thought we had an extra week to be <laughs> so, so yeah, so I stopped doing that. Forget trying to stay ahead of things. That was dumb. And we stay too behind, then uh, at least we always get that Muppet-like energy. Exactly. Exactly. Like building so, the game. Yes. So, huh. so you've been uh, busy uh, hosting your virtual game show. Yeah. Uh, which virtual still, game show for hire. I don't think I've played that one officially have I? I i demoed it with you when you were first designing it did i play that one though did i let me tell you all about it at the top of the show we'll just get the plug out of the way it's uh it's mall night long a virtual game show it's a game show for hire uh where i jump on with you and your friends and family on zoom uh and i create a television game show experience just for you for two hours where uh, we play seven different rounds, which take place inside of a virtual retro mega mall. So there is uh, a word game. Uh, there is a game where you guess IMDb ratings for movies. There's a game where you guess the prices of weird things on eBay. Uh, there is a game about food. You decide how guilty food is. Uh, and there's a thrilling push your luck finale. So I'm not sure that you have played the official full version uh, I don't think it, I would have. Be, it would be a pleasure to do so. We can make that. Yeah, happen. I got to do that sometime. Yes, I have plenty of friends that would enjoy it. So I have plenty of friends, you know, that would enjoy it. You have plenty of friends, I'm told. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> how many is plenty, right? Like, I think it depends <laughs> on the subjective. person, <laughs> right? It is a subjective uh, measurement. <laughs> uh, but we'll get the business part out of the way. Uh, I'm running a special. Where if you're in range of the sound of my voice and you want to play this game, uh, I norm and I've announced this on one or two other shows. So you right, know, right, 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 you got to right. be listening to those shows. So if if you're listening and you want to play, normally uh, a two hour game is seventy five bucks. So it's cheaper than an escape room, cheaper than dinner and a movie out. Absolutely. Uh, if you can hear me right now and you reach out to me 
by my email address, playmallnightlong at gmail.com, on Twitter at tableflipsu, or even just a direct message in the Discord. Uh, 60 bucks will do that for if you book before the nice. end of May. Uh, so a nice deal, plays two to 12 players. Uh, and I, you don't, there's no website. You can't enter a promo code, but if you just say building the game at me, I'll know what you're talking about (laughs) and we'll give you that cool discount. Oh, that's very, very kind of you. It is worth every penny. I mean, cause like I said, I know I did the demo of that. Plus I've done other things that you've run like this. What was the last one you did before this? Price is right. 86. Price is right. 86. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one I did. Um, uh, with my my wife was on there with me and a few other people and oh my gosh oh that was the one you gave you gave to us right after episode 500 if i remember correctly yeah that was, it was uh, a which was episode gift we did 71 weeks ago how is that yeah. possible <laughs> so so maybe jason just waits 29 weeks and sees what's under the tree who knows <laughs> Uh, no, I want to book it because I, uh, yeah, I want to get together. It'd be, it's, I think what's, what's super cool about it is the ability to get together people who aren't, you know, necessarily in the same place as you, right? Like we're talking about the fact that Rob lives in Minnesota and I could totally get him and Christine to hop on and do that. Um, and I think that's cool. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and speaking of getting together with people that aren't in your area, um, I booked my ticket for my first ever protospiel online just the other day. Uh, nice. coming up and in, in, it's probably happening as this episode drops it might not even be almost over uh, yeah i think so yeah because it um yeah because this episode is a little coming out a little later than uh because we're we're getting ahead we're doing the summer let's get ahead a little bit so that jason could take some vacations and go camping basically this the thing it's a good plan um and so i'm really excited because i've always wanted to go to like an unpub mm-hmm, but it's, mm-hmm. it's out of reach for me right now and right, travel right. And that's that's a struggle for a lot of people who aspire to design games is that networking and travel is it's tough. It's expensive. It is. You buy it hotel is. rooms and, and it's just not something that's in reach for everybody. Or maybe you don't live in an area with that critical mass. Uh, like when I was testing mm-hmm. out real estate, uh, it was just me and the same few people. And then like one or two cons that I went to. But mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot of the same people. I've seen this game 20 weeks in a row. Here's my feedback on the latest iteration. <laughs> right, right, um, right, right. Makes it tough, right? And so um, I'm not bringing games. I'm just going as a tester. I, I yeah, want to cool. have this experience. Uh, you know, I've, I've done a couple of the Protospiel live streams where they've given away prizes and, and hung out and done stuff on that. And it's like, you know what? I, I want to be on the inside of this thing and, yeah. and try some cool games by some upcoming designers. So I'm excited. And since you'll be hearing this uh, after it's done, I had a great time. You should buy a badge to the next one. We'll just... We'll just say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, no, I'm, um, uh, yeah, no, I, I worked at approach wheel online to help out as a, um, as a guest or something. Uh, oh, we did coffee like talk, a sponsor. Right? We did a sponsor. Coffee oh, talk. A That's what it was. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, but I have never been able to attend as an attendee. It's just every time they always seem to fall at a time where it's difficult for me to be able to go. Uh, and I'm bummed because like, I know a ton of the people that are there <laughs> testing right. games and I would love to come check out their games. Uh, I've luckily seen quite a few of those games in person now because of last year getting to go to more cons and, and this year will hopefully be, uh, I think this year I'm going to do origins, Gen Con, hopefully packs unplugged, uh, origin origins and Gen Con. I have to do because I've already bought tickets right. an Airbnb and a campsite. You've already fought your so. way through the, the nightmare that is booking Gen Con. Yes. Yes. 
Yes. So uh, Sorry, yeah. I didn't. I didn't mean well, to I didn't, some emotion. Oh no, that's all right. I didn't. So I didn't have to book Gen Con housing this year. Okay. Uh, because my friend Ken Franklin, who's a great dude, said I just camp every year, and I was like, Oh, where? So he told me where he camps, and uh, so I'm gonna just camp there. Uh, and then just ride in every day with him. So that there we, you go. Uh, and you come in yeah. with like a bindle on a stick with all your games in it. Yeah. Yeah. And, so, uh, well, and it's nice because you just go right downtown and park and it's easy to get in there. The, the only thing that's not fun about that is when you buy stuff and then you're stuck carrying it for the rest of the day. Not yeah. a huge fan of that. But um, yeah. 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 You need a giant backpack, my friend. I think that's what uh, I, I need that. to be better about that. I carry around like a shoulder bag. Mm. um like you know like uh I, I don't it's a messenger bag that's the term for it mm-hmm. and uh i love carrying that in the way it feels but it is not great for storing things it's actually pretty stupid for that no so. and once you start buying stuff now you're starting to pay the price for it uh, right as opposed right. to just looking slightly less cool and wearing a backpack um, yeah yeah you do look cooler in the messenger bag for sure people like 100%. is that indiana jones is what is what is happening there you know he doesn't have the hat on because it doesn't look good on his on his indiana head shape, jones but, went um, incognito to this game convention right. uh, yeah dressed as a middle-aged guy who couldn't possibly go to any ancient ruins and survive so you know so there's that but um yeah i do need to just switch to a nice big backpack i'm starting i'm going back to school in the fall so uh, I thought about getting a backpack for that because, you know, that's what the cool kids have. Actually, all the cool kids one. now carry those really stupid bags with those like those cinch sack bags with like the most uncomfortable like string backpack straps. Hmm. We've seen those. It literally is like a bag like this like a bag with a string on it. Right. Yeah. And like it goes over their shoulders, but like it looks like it just would cut into your skin. But I guess you really can't put anything heavy in it because it's so stupid small. Um and when I say the kids nowadays, it could have literally been like five years ago um, because, you know, time moves differently when you're old. So, all right. Well, hey, you brought a topic as you like to do when you come on the show. You don't just show up and say, I demand to be on the show and I demand that you talk to me about something interesting. You say, hey, I'm coming on the show. You and- entertain me. Yeah. I came on this your show so you can make me feel better. Yeah. I showed up here. And I expect you to entertain me. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'm here. What are we going to talk about? Um, I thought uh, since, you know, I've done a lot of my own design work in this sort of game show space Mm -hmm. and something I've been about a lot. um, It might be fun to explore the comparison between designing for a tabletop board game experience and designing for other types of game experiences, which may have different parameters and different expectations. So the examples that I think of are game shows, uh, Mm -hmm. like on television, uh, escape rooms. uh, And another one that came up in the discord today, when when we kind of talking about this topic a little bit was tabletop RPGs. So all of those things that you would define as games, all of those have a design process Certainly Mm -hmm. some overlap in the fans of those things. Uh, But I thought we might gain some insight by kind of exploring, like, if I'm designing one or the other of these things, what's different about that? What are the expectations? Mm -hmm. What are the things that I, as the audience, expect? Uh, Because we might gain some insight about game design overall by just making those compare and contrast. So, Yeah, I like that. I like that. Yeah, and there's, as someone who's been trying to focus on doing some some more, like, RPG side things... uh, it is different. <laughs> like I, I have some thoughts when we get to that part about how 
some of the things are different in a way that that forces you to change your process and mm-hmm. uh it's weird so yeah yeah especially yeah. if you've been like in the board game world for so long and, and have creating that discipline around it because mm-hmm. there's definitely some things you do in board games that are kind of commonly accepted practices and things you know you can break any rule right there's no absolute right, in game right. design but you know things that would make no sense in a board game but make perfect sense in one of these other experiences um so I, I think it'd be mm-hmm. fertile ground to explore. And, and the uh, folks in the Discord uh, had some interesting things to say, so we can look at that too as well, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's a lot, a lot of people in the Discord that are smarter than I am, for sure. So <laughs> I take their advice routinely. <laughs> All right, so where do we want to start with this then? How do we want to uh, dive into this? So maybe one place that we can start is uh, we kind of maybe pick one of these and start picking it apart a little bit and just doing some mm-hmm. compare and contrast. So let's start with RPGs since sure, it's something sure. you have some firsthand experience designing. Uh, I'm not going to say that I've designed RPGs because I've, I've certainly tried in the past mm-hmm. when I was a, a heavy RPG player and I finished prototypes, uh, but they never went anywhere and I don't want to overplay my own experience. But certainly I think everybody who's played RPGs has done some level of design because their RPGs encourage that, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, um, if you've ever run a game or even made a character, I mean, the idea of that design is in your head way more than it is when you're playing a board game or right. a game show or an escape room, for sure, right? Right. Because um, um, I think the primary difference there, of course, is RPGs, we call them a game and they have game rules, uh, but generally speaking, it's like a narrative experience mm-hmm. right yeah 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 the the incentive is not i'm going to try to win the game uh it's we're going to try to tell this story and the rules that we're playing by are going to add some uncertainty to that mm-hmm. in, in mm-hmm. most cases um yeah so one difference that comes to mind for me immediately is the idea that when i'm when you're designing a rpg experience it doesn't necessarily have to be locked down as tightly as a board game experience in terms of right, rules. Right, right, right. Um, because there was always that rule zero, right? Like you can bend yeah. and change and fudge and right, do whatever right. you want. I would even argue that it shouldn't be because it can be. Certainly it can be. I know I've played a few role-playing games where the rules are so – or you've, you're dealing with like a GM who is, you know, what they would call from back in the day a rules lawyer, right? Mm-hmm where they're just very, very concerned about the specifics of the rules and things. And, uh, and that was never fun to me. Like that was always kind of like, but this isn't about that, right? This is about creating that narrative and making that narrative fun and good in, in, in making this story together. And, and I think there is winning in it, right? Where as a group you win because you're trying to accomplish a goal, right? Right. Um, but it's different than it is. And I mean, we're talking about the kind of where I'm coming from there is your mainstream role-playing games, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And we've seen an explosion in different types of role-playing games uh, from LARPs to, you know, really, really freeform stuff to like one-page RPGs uh, that have like, you know, five rules in them, if that, right? Yeah. Uh, It's almost like role-playing games just constantly reinvent themselves in ways that have certainly outpaced me. When, When I was playing them more actively... This is, you know, 2000s, you know, 90s, 2000s, that era. So we're talking Deadlands, Mm -hmm. Cyberpunk, Vampire, all games which were trying to break out of the Dungeons and Dragons mindset of the time, which was very much about, Mm -hmm. it's essentially a war game, right? You know, it's sort of 
it's you really drive your characters by killing monsters and getting experience and these games were trying to push outside of that and just mm-hmm. but now you see those walls have been knocked way down and right. there's lots of games doing things that you wouldn't have even considered in that like i think of one of my favorite role-playing games of recent years one of the only ones i've really played for this reason it's called worldwide wrestling <laughs> and that does about, sound up your alley it definitely for is sure and What's weird about that one is because it's about professional wrestling, there's a rule in it where the person who is the GM, they call that person the booker. And in real professional wrestling, the booker decides what the stories are going to be and who's going to win the matches, right? Mm -hmm. So if you and I are playing a wrestling match against each other, and that's another thing that it encourages is this player-to-player combat, so to speak, this Mm role-playing. But we're we're not going move for move and rolling to see if the move hits – I'm telling you exactly what happens. I rolled the die to see how successful it is. And then I may choose to hand you control of the narrative to get some kind of benefit for me. And we're collaborating back and forth to try to create this narrative. And then three quarters of the way through the booker tells you how the match is going to end. They tell you the ending of the story. And then it's your job to collaborate your way to satisfying that ending, Uh, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. in RPGs 20 years ago, that's a no-no like no you you got to let the players get to where they're going and they have to have that Mm -hmm. agency and control but then the idea that the gm it's it's on its head the players are controlling the entire narrative until the gm Mm -hmm. tells them the ending um right right there is the narrative based rpgs to where the players are in control of telling the narrative are are very much have very much become a thing you know things like systems like powered by the apocalypse does a lot with that where it's you make a role and whether or not you're successful and either you or the GM describes what happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in a lot of the games it allows you to actually describe the narrative of what happens, uh, which I think is super cool, right? Because yeah. like, you know, your character, it's you, right? You should get to decide. Um, I can tell you one difference that I really, really found out. Uh, I mean, I messed around and I found out, if you know what I mean, like, <laughs> when it comes to this. So I've been working on some different solo RPGs and I, and I, I keep finding myself getting stuck. I've got a laundry list of them that I've been working on and I keep finding myself myself getting stuck at certain points and I couldn't figure out why. And I'm working on this one game right now where I need to be able to track distance walked by the player uh, and then distance walked by something else. And then like trying to like marry those two things together. And I'm like, so I'm creating this system of how it gets tracked on the page. And then I'm like, as soon as I figure that out, then I can go back and start doing the more narrative stuff. And then I was like, no, why are you doing this? Like, and it occurred to me because when I make a board game prototype, I have to understand how those things are tracked. Cause those are right. questions that I'll be asked when I have to make the prototype, right? Like if I want to pitch it to someone, certainly, but that would be the same with the, with this RPG. Um, you know, when I present it to people for play testing, it has to have a way to track it. But when I'm just writing it, it doesn't have to have that, right? So I'm trying to design this to just make sure that I can. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. Like, you figure that out later. Like, I can literally have people play it and use just a pencil and paper to track stuff. And they can say, hey, this was bad doing it this way. Do it this other way. And and it's just such a shift in how I am used to approaching board games after you know, over a decade of having a pretty specific system I built of how I work on games. And I, I certainly step outside of that, right? Uh, on a lot of occasions, but it's kind of the fundamental questions you ask yourself and stuff. And I've realized that a lot of those are just completely not valid when it comes to working on these games. Um, 
and that's both freeing and really freaking annoying like because <laughs> it's like but i'm good at this part you know i mean um, you spent your ten thousand hours in board games you're holding this again. perfectly good hammer and you want to solve all your problems with it right right um and now i need a saw and i'm right. like <laughs> can't i just yeah. hit it till it breaks i mean you can right and that's the thing is I would get there eventually if I just kept beating on it until it broke. But also with a saw, I could just cut off the pieces I need to and then rebuild it the way I need to by also using the hammer. Right. Because right. there is there is a there is enough overlap in good principles of design. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think especially for me, what's been the bonus for that is because I'm a very narrative and experience based designer on most of my games. That really ties in well to Wolfling, right? Absolutely. If you're a designer who's all about like, you know, for design, I care about abstract games that are all like tile placement and things like that. Nothing wrong with that. But you're going to have less transferable skills to a loose ruled role playing game. Right. Um, turn, you may also be amazing at that, too. Why do you have to be good at everything? Maybe just sit down a little bit and leave the rest of us. Maybe just to do, eat but... a pen and Jerry's and take a break and give us some yeah, room. Right. But not everybody's going to be Julio, okay? Maybe calm down, <laughs> Julio. There's the episode title. Um, <laughs> but I think uh, the other thing, too, is is designing in these spaces is some assumptions about what the players are going to do. Because we've mm-hmm. talked about how you don't necessarily have to have everything tight from the running the game standpoint. But also, there's this expectation from players that... Uh, you know, players might change things. Players might do things. You might even change things on the fly in the middle of a role-playing game to accommodate players, whether it's quote-unquote fair or not. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing stopping board game players from doing that except for really, number one, the culture around it. Because Mm -hmm. when we pick up a board game, we are expecting the set of rules presented to us to work well together. We're not going, and and chances are that game has been tested, you mm-hmm. know, to all get out. It's been balanced. It they've and it's a lot easier to break a board game ecosystem when you're mm-hmm. making those changes. So people right. just don't. And when you're done mm-hmm. designing a board game, you're designing it with the expectation that people are going to follow the parameters that you've created. Mm-hmm. Um, but usually, if you see in a board game, I think we've actually said this before on this podcast. If a board game says, "Hey, if you don't like a rule, go ahead and change it," that's usually a red flag that it was <laughs> right, like, like that. Well, maybe they just didn't bother to think of everything, and they're like, "Ah, it's your problem now." Right. It reminded me actually when you said the thing about um, about you, you know, nothing stops you technically from changing the rules. It reminded me of something Rob Couch once said on this podcast when we were talking about a game like Hanabi, and I, I love Hanabi. I think it's super fun. Uh, I finally got to play it a few times with just my wife and it was like really fun to play it back and forth, like trying to do that communication. Right. But um, Rob was like, I don't like to play cooperative games like that. And I said, why? And he said, because, because you want to win. So why don't you just cheat? And I was like, what? (laughs) He was like, I just don't (laughs) understand why you wouldn't just cheat. He's like, I mean, it's not like you're really hurting anything. You're all agreeing to just cheat so that you can just win the game. And he's like, and and at first I was like, you're wrong. But then he made a solid argument for the fact that like you develop codes with each other, right? You develop when I say this, I probably mean that, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So you effectively, you are cheating, right? Like even if you're following like the letter of the rules, right? 
you still might be fudging a little to on a game like that, right? The thing about Hanabi is you can fudge like that and you will still lose. Um <laughs> but because it's hard. Um so so that, you know, I, I agree with you, but you're right about the ecosystem thing. I don't know how many times we've made a small house rule tweak to a game and then been like, oh, nope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. that's because if you do that, then this happens. So we can either change that back or we can now change another rule and hope it doesn't create a landslide uh, that will make this game very unfun, you know? Yeah. So I think if, if you're designing either of those products, just remembering those things, I think, is helpful. And maybe even gives you some agency to try to break those rules and make something completely unique too. Right, right. Yeah, yeah it is a- funny because in a role-playing game, if you saw, hey, if some of these rules feel too restrictive, just change them, you'd be like, oh, green flag, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> but in that's a board what you game, you're like, oh, yeah, mm-mm. yep, yep, this game's not balanced. Yeah. That is um, code for we didn't really test this game well enough. So maybe that's the challenge for the builders out there in the Discord and in podcast land. Are you going to be the one that builds the board game that has the rule you make stuff up as you go along and make it work maybe that's you well there Uh, is uh is it flux does that maybe well flux not really i've never actually played flux the rules change as you go but there's always still the same magic circle there's a there's a game called like i think it's called like Ten Thousand blank white cards or something and it it tries to do Mm -hmm. this and it's not i don't know if it's like a published product um, and there's been occasionally games where it's like they'll throw you one blank card and it's like, if you draw this card, make up your own rule and throw it in and, you know, mixed degrees of success with that. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. But even as a game designer, like when I, there was a version of Uno we were playing that had a blank card. My son's like, oh, dad, you should come up with it. And I was like, I don't know that I want to like, yeah. you know, I mean, like I bought this game and I'm happy to play it the way it is. I don't feel like I need to change this. I mean, I don't have a problem with it. I just don't want to be the person to do it. You know, <laughs> then they're gonna be like, "Dad, this card sucks. Why'd you make it this way?" Like, I didn't design the whole game, kids. Okay, you told me to come up with a card, so I did. Now you hate it. <laughs> um, That's what would happen, for the record. Well, when we talk about cheating. It actually gets me thinking about the escape room topic. Oh yes, yes, yes. So, because an escape room, it, it there's a couple of different things going on there, right? Like, it's certainly a game that is designed and needs to be tested and needs to function, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it plays a lot like, you know, your average solo board game is maybe a similar experience to an escape room in some senses, except for an escape room is a one-time experience. Right, right. right. Um, I think that puts some limitations on your testing because once somebody's tested yes. it, they've seen it all, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some friends that run an escape room, and they were saying, I saw them posting on Facebook, they don't live by me, but they were like, hey, we're looking for people to come uh, for free to play the test version of this, which means you're going to play the worst possible version of it. And there's going to be problems with it. And we're going to give you some pizza or something like, that. <laughs> like we're going to make it worth your while. It's going to be fun. Um, yep. Play but, the worst game of the world and do it once and never get to play the good version. Right, right, That's, right. Yeah. That is a little bit of a bummer. They've been but, doing it for a while though. So their rough ones are probably still pretty decent, but yeah. So like, so like if you're designing to an escape room experience, you, first of all, you have to put in, that much more work up front not just oh my gosh the yeah design of you know maybe if you're scratch i don't know how an escape room designer goes about designing I, I would assume there's some paper prototyping or some stuff like that that happens um but you're building props like it's it's there's only so much you can do because in a board game we just put everything on scratch paper and post-it notes and napkins mm-hmm. and and design on that so we can throw it away and i i don't know how much of that you can do in escape rooms i'd be curious to learn from somebody yeah 
I so I've done some escape rooms, and I know you have as well. And like thinking about them as a designer, and listen, I know we have Jonathan Chaffer, Ken Franklin. These are listeners who know how to design escape rooms. Who could be on this episode to talk about them, but they're not. Nope. Um, so we're just gonna pretend we know what we're talking about. But no, I like you know this one we went into. You walk in, you're in this little room. It's like a living room. And you think that's the whole, there's a door in the corner, but you don't know if you're going to go through the door or not, right? Mm-hmm. And you feel like that's the whole thing. And eventually you do go through the door and you're like, okay, so no, it's actually two rooms. And then eventually you figure out that there's a secret door behind a bookshelf and you go into a third room. And that was exciting, right? Yeah. But I have to imagine, and I know when I've had, because we actually did an episode talking about escape rooms and making them a long time ago with my friends, Chris and Ann. And I think one of the things they talked about was that, that I was about to say, and this is probably why I remember it, is that, you know, part of it is like you've got a theme, you know what you want the theme to be, but then you have space and you have to think about how are we going to utilize this space? You know, and in, in that case, that to me says you have to work backwards a little bit, right? Like you have to say, like, what's the big end goal of this? And then let's how do we get the people there, right? Uh, and that's kind of how you do it if you're writing a mystery, right? If you're writing mm-hmm. a mystery, you figure out who done it, and then you work backwards from there so that you can seed clues throughout it, right? Um, and that's basically what you're doing with an escape room, I think, except for it's a mystery where it's not like, you know, the Ocean's Eleven where there's the thing at the end where it's like, I never could have figured this out, but it suddenly makes total sense when they show me what happened, mm-hmm. but I would have never guessed. The escape room has to be the, here's what happened, and I guessed it along the right. way, right? So in that's theory. that's also uh, some we talked about cheating earlier too. Yes, you know, yes. In, in, in escape room, you want to walk out feeling smart, right? But mm-hmm. you also paid money for the experience, so it changes, mm-hmm. and you paid money to have this experience once, right? So right. It, it changes a lot of the incentives, I think, because in a board game, in a perfect board game situation, you fall in love with the game, you play it uh, ten times a week for the rest of your life. Right. Like that's right. Right. You know, your perfect board game experience is repeatable. And there's been exceptions, of course, time stories mm-hmm. things like that. But, um, you know, and you get better at it. Right. Like, so yes, if you don't do yes. great in your first game, but there's something that engages you, you come back to it. Mm-hmm. But in an escape room experience. Like your game master is incentivized to make sure you walk out feeling smart, but also feeling like you had a thrilling good time. Right, and right. Sometimes that means pushing you past a puzzle you're having trouble with yeah, on purpose yeah. and letting you, quote unquote, cheat, which if mm-hmm. it's a social expectation, is it really cheating? Right. 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 Um, well, and I've seen some escape rooms where they specifically say you get three clues. Yep. Like, so it's not cheating. You get three clues. Um, You can tell us when you want to use those, but we'll actually offer if we think you're close, but you need a push. And I was like. That's genius, right? Because then it does not feel like cheating. If it is the expectation that you will need help with this, so we're going to offer it to you when you need it. Yeah, and you've even seen moved away from that because when I first started, it was very much like that. Like three clues, that's it. Maybe we'll give you an occasional nudge, which is often just a free clue. Like it's, right, it's, right, right, right. It is what it is. They just call it a nudge to help you feel better. But I've also done mm-hmm. escape rooms where, like, we're only going to give you three clues and that's it. And if you can't bootstrap your way past that, then that's your problem. And, you know, it's never a great experience. Um, but they need to fill and make sure you stay for around 45 to 50 minutes, I think. Because right, if you walk right. out after 19 minutes of an hour long escape room, you're not going to you're not going to feel like a genius. 
you're going to feel like there wasn't enough entertainment there. Right. Um, That's a good point. That is a good point. And I could see it being either way. Like if you walked out with no clues, knowing the escape room was super hard and it only took you 20 minutes, I think some people would be like, look how good we are at this. And that may be the case. Right. But you know, there is that whole like substance thing, right? Like I paid for substance, you know, Mm -hmm. right. (laughs) So give me substance. Yeah. Um, and, and so that time constraint is interesting to me when I compare that Mm -hmm. to board games, because in a board game situation, um, I think as a designer, you have a certain time in mind that you think is going to be good, but that's going to evolve through the design process. Right. And when people, when people take it on their own and learn the rules by themselves and play it, it, that's going to gain and shrink and flex and that's okay. Whereas Mm -hmm. most escape rooms are a one hour booking and you really want people to stay ideally until minute 59 and then get out with 30 seconds left and tell that story for the rest of their lives about. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, And so, I mean, there are some constraints, right. That require like, cause like, Hey, why 60 minutes? Right. And I think there's several good arguments for that. I mean, there's obviously like 60 minutes. It's just a, it's a nice bucket of time that we're used to, right. An hour. Mm -hmm. Things that are in an hour, great. It's um, less than the amount of time most people can go with ne- without needing to pee, right? Because you're right. locked in a room, so you don't have to leave theoretically. Uh, though, I mean, they will let you out. They really yeah. Not most most rooms room. will. Um, yeah, I had one yeah. room that I is local, and the old people who used to own it when they'd give their pregame speech, they'd be like, just so you know, that door is not locked. If we locked it, that would be kidnapping, and it would be illegal. So you can leave and go to the bathroom whenever you want. Right, um, right. Like. Uh, right. So, yeah, but you generally you want to stay immersed in that experience. Right, right, right. Time. Yeah. And I mean, it's not like you're going to sneak out and go cheat. Right. I mean, right. you're not going to be like, oh, I felt the walls from the outside and now I know the shape of the room. I mean, that's, you know, right. it's not going to happen. But it is that immersion thing. Right. And so that to me is one of the biggest things where a role playing game. I mean, an escape room is really like a cross between a board game and a LARP. It's kind of mm-hmm. what it feels like. Right. Like and a yeah. game show. Too. I mean, yeah. like, because escape rooms feel very game showy, right? I, think, I mean, uh, you're interacting with the host. Escape rooms out there too. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I think I think escape rooms and game shows have some overlap in that time constraint sense, because like a television game show, they have to fill a certain window of time. Mm-hmm. There is, yeah. It, yeah. it is not an option to go over that half hour, and you really don't want to have a game where people finish in 15 minutes and then you're just yakking for the other 15 right, minutes right. of the time or the 20 minutes after commercials or whatever. Um, you know, so that's a design challenge there that it has to fit exactly within that window. I mean, there's things you can do with editing and stuff, but right. right. Cause I think um, with, you know, with like a lot of game shows, they schedule probably slightly longer than they need yeah. and then they trim. But then also you look at shows like jeopardy or even wheel of fortune and stuff where you get the timer, right? The beeps, mm-hmm when you get to a certain point or, or the worst, who wants to be a millionaire? You remember that show, of course, right? I do. The worst thing about that show, the absolute worst was the time where it would just be like, you're on question seven. Good job. Boom. Show's ah, over. See you next week. Why? Honestly, and who wants to be a millionaire? like, see you tomorrow for the next seven episodes we're going to be playing because that show was so dang popular at first. Yeah. And, um, and that was an old school thing. You saw a lot in the seventies and eighties is straddling. 
is like we'd be three quarters of the way through a game and then we're going to stop and we're going to pick it up tomorrow as a way to get you to tune in tomorrow. And then uh, for whatever reason, shows got away from that and right. they all became very self-contained, probably because you get to a point where if you're straddling shows like that, it's inconvenient for TV execs because they can't change the order or drop episodes or whatever. Cause right. Right. You lose That's them. where I think that, that um, shows like Jeopardy found the real magic of like, we're going to do a week long thing where you uh, are on, right? Like you can, you can have the same group of people. Well, and you can be on for as long as you can stay on Jeopardy, but you know what I mean? Like right. it's, it's a self-contained episode, but you follow people that you want to see. And I don't know how Jeopardy does reruns. Do they just? They do do reruns. Generally, in the past, they've done like they'll rerun tournaments. So they'll run a couple of tournaments throughout the year, which are okay. one or two week affairs, and they'll bring those right. back. Um, right. Last year yeah. was a little different because they picked highlight episodes from throughout the season because it was a crazy right. season. Yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah, they would yeah, have like a little yeah. intro as to why they were playing this crazy episode that happened. Right. This, this is the one where Amy Schneider lost, like that kind of thing. Um, but they they do that and, and they are such an efficient machine. They're not quite live to tape, uh, but pretty close. I, I was listening yeah, to the Jeopardy yeah. podcast the other day and they were saying that they can tape uh, a week of episodes or five episodes in a day. And it's about a five hour tape day, including lunch. So nice. Oh, um, yeah, because with commercials, there's no yeah. commercials in that. Right. So, 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 but so like stops that happen for checking questions or whatever. But. Um, so one of the interesting things then is that when you think of an escape room being like a game show, the difference is you can't edit out the boring parts, right? Right. Like you think of a show like Family Feud, I think is is really well known for this. I'm sure Family Feud does a ton of editing, or like when Steve Harvey used to host it, especially, right? Mm -hmm. Because he would vamp and talk to the people and make jokes, and I'm sure they they did a lot of trimming to get that to the right length, right? Cause that man can just talk for hours. Right. Because he's funny and he, you know, he's just good yeah. at that. Um, but like, you know, like with a show like Jeopardy or something. Yeah. I think there's a lot less of that. Right. Right. And it's, they really try hard to get all the clues on both boards in. And then once in a while they have to drop like the last couple, but that's not too often, but they do need to cut the game short. So they'll say less than a minute to go. And then they'll start that minute long clock. If they think they're running out of time. And use right, right. as many of those clues as they can. Um, Family Feud, uh, it's my favorite anti-example. And I love drawing the comparison with this in board games because you would mm -hmm. never want to do this in a board game. Is What Feud does is the last round is the triple points round, and that's the only one that matters. Yep, um, yep. Which, by the way, uh, I kind of do that in Mall Night Long. We'll talk about that later. But um, well, I mean, Flip the Table has a long yeah. history of ten thousand points. True, um, screwing everything up. But so that's a really good point. With Family Feud, can you win in the first two rounds, or is it not even possible? You can't win in the first few rounds. The best possible scenario, which really doesn't happen often, is if you run away ahead so much in the early rounds that maybe the winner of the triple points round gets like. 290 points and is 10 points short that's okay. almost never going to happen um right right and and you know and yet that's one of the most famous uh game shows mm -hmm. in the world because designing for a game show you are designing a show first mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. entertaining the home audience is the primary driver and what they want to see right. is a is a thrilling conclusion where anybody can win right. and they want to see funny answers and it's not as important 
to make it feel quote unquote fair, even though it has to legally be fair, right? You have to be playing right. by fair right. rules, but right. it, you know, it's not a game of skill. You're not proving how good you are at family no. feud when you play no. it. Whereas I mean, Jeopardy needs to be a lot yeah. more like yeah. that. Like a skilled player needs to be able to win more often. Right. Um, right. That's a, that's a really good point. Um, Family Feud, it's funny, I, I never noticed this until I went to run a Family Feud game and I asked a bunch of people questions uh, and then tried to put all of the top 100, you know, all the answers up there and then realized that they don't do that. Nope. Um, and that's because people give stupid answers. Mm-hmm. So, or, or we also found that you a lot of times could just group them, which right. I think they do. Sometimes you'll see this. They absolutely do. That. They'll chunk ones yeah. together that kind of yeah. fit in the same category. Um. Like if you were designing Family Feud as a board game, mm-hmm. then it would be a race to winning a certain number of rounds. And that would be like super fair and super fun. And yeah, you could come yeah. from behind and win. But if you were ahead, you would be doing great. But also that game would be 20 to 45 minutes long. Right, right. Uh, and game shows don't have that luxury of being able to expand and contract time like that. So I think mm-hmm. that's like a mm-hmm. big difference is you have these constraints that would make you make decisions in a game show. You wouldn't necessarily make in a board game experience. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. And the board games do have to have very strict rules on like an RPG or something, because like you said, they got to be legal, right? They can't, you know, they have to seem fair and have what appears to be fair play because otherwise, you know, they're going to yeah. get sued. <laughs> I mean, I mean, television game shows are federally regulated thanks to the scandals in the 50s. It's, it's not so much the case outside of the country. Oh, wow. but, like the quiz um, show scandal thing? Yeah. Yeah. Like So now that's why you have lawyers and standards of compliance because they are breaking the law if there's any chicanery happening. It's not just okay, like a okay. bad look. Um, right. And so everything has to be clearly defined. Everything has to be to the letter. On Jeopardy, if there's a question about a clue, they stop tape. They review it a bunch of times. Like they've they've talked on the podcast about like reviewing to see if somebody pronounced a certain syllable of a word correctly. Okay. Because because they can't ding you for pronunciation unless it would change the spelling of the word. That is how specific those rulings can get. And if there's any question, they stop. They review it and they make a decision and then they edit it out and you never see it in the show. But do they have those laws around like reality TV shows, like a show like Survivor? Because it's a game show, right? But it's a reality show, but there's prize money, but it feels like they're completely just like they just throw the rules in the trash every week when they feel like it. Maybe that's why they don't film in the U.S. I don't know. (laughs) So I I think part of it is, yes, they have rules and standards and practice and compliance. But where I think there is some room for fudging is that if it's like a judged show where they're making a decision based on opinion, Mm -hmm. then producers can influence that opinion, right? And say, you know, in in our opinion, we should keep this person and not that person. And so that's where like a top chef is more of a scripted reality than an actual, but but they are certainly playing a game. Right, uh, right. But there's more room to sort of fudge in there, whereas your traditional like three buzzers in a scoreboard game show got to be wicked tight. Although I have questions about Password, the new version sometimes, because it sometimes feels like they play a little loose with the no gestures rule to me. Um, Oh, games like that are hard to regulate, right? To make sure people are not 
You know, I mean, I've designed enough party games to know that when you ask people to give clues in a specific way, they will cheat. And I don't even believe they're meaning to like you just do. Right. It just it's hard not to. Right. Yeah. But in a a party game, in a board game, you just draw this magic circle that works for you. So maybe that's the example of like in the RPG Mm -hmm. where you can change the rules to fit what you need. Uh, right, is right. that there are going to be little spaces in board games where maybe your sort of social construct works. So like, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, so in the party game where, you know, you, I see a lot of in code names, for example, people are okay with like a first and last proper name. They feel like right, that right. one or like a hyphenated word. They don't worry about that. They just say that right, that's okay. Right. Battle yeah. Technically I do believe proper names are okay in code names. Yeah. So I think um, I've had to look that up before with the infamous uh, golden spike clue that I gave that Rob biffed <laughs> and then blame me. So, um, or like in Battlestar Galactica, you were talking about co-ops earlier that, mm-hmm. you know, sort of the code speak that you, you know, I can help a little, I can help a lot. I can help medium and you right, right, yeah. read between the lines and know what that means. Right. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So maybe there is some of that. Um, incentive makes a difference too. Um you know, to draw on an old comparison, you know, Survivor was a board game and it was not good. None of the versions I think were good. The version That's we played fair. certainly yeah. wasn't good um, because that is engineered to create television drama. That's the incentive. That's the goal. Right, right. Right. And so you're voting each other off the island, so to speak. And on the show, it's all about I'm making these alliances and it's long term and it's mm-hmm. the people who are helping and who's going to stab each other in the back and there's time to have secret conversations and things like that. And the card game mm-hmm. we played, you're just basically picking a winner by vote. Essentially yeah. there's, there's yeah. stuff that happens, but it doesn't like matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and so because there's no like cash prize incentive driving that because there's no in between happening, you know, they're trying to simulate the experience and not getting there. Right. And there's no like, oh, you got voted off the show. Now we're going to put you up in a nice hotel for the next six weeks while the show finishes. Right. You know, that doesn't happen in the game, but you're right. just eliminated and that's not fun. Right. Yeah. I mean, at least in maybe like a who wants to be a millionaire board game, you're probably going to try to just get the million every time. Right. You're not going to quit in the middle and right. lock in right. your score of nine thousand right. dollars. But you're having the fun of seeing, can I answer 12 trivia questions in a row? And see, that is actually, that is an argument that I have against uh, why I never, like, because I used to play a lot of poker. I was never amazing at it, and I never, like, played for big money, but I won some money playing, and it was fun, and I enjoyed it. But I refuse to play with people online in, like, free poker, like those, like, the free boards. No, it's like, you can win prizes, Mm -hmm. or it's just for fun, because it's not fun, because people don't play for real they play like i'll go all in because i don't care because this money's not real and like Mm -hmm. and that kind of changes the the way the game works it it reminds me of what you said about survivor right being the difference between a board game and like when you're playing for keeps right or like who wants to be a millionaire i mean sorry like why not just go for the million in the board game because it doesn't matter right right because i want to win the million and if i don't i didn't actually lose money you know Mm -hmm. um so yeah, I mean, you think about like, and I think, uh, you know, somebody in the Discord mentioned this is the incentives, right? That really mm-hmm. drives a lot of the design decisions that you're going to make. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so an escape room, it's all about the customer that's coming in that's paid you money for this one time experience and really delighting mm-hmm. them in the moment. And so figuring out how do you immerse them, how do you push them through this experience when you need to, right. and right. maybe iterate for the next customer 
right? So you would probably be doing some design on the fly there. Mm-hmm. Um, for a game show, it's more about the home audience than anybody. Yeah. Yep. You you want your contestants to be in, to have fun while they're there. So probably the cash prize makes a big difference there. Right. You, right. You certainly want to, your game to be fun to play because you want people on TV to have fun, but it's more about entertaining. Oh yeah. I mean, they're funding the game, right? I right. mean, it's who your customer is, right? When you make a board game, your customer is who buys the game, right? Just like right. with an RPG, um, you know, with, with an escape room, it's the same thing. It, it is the one place where it's different with a game show where mm-hmm. your customer is somebody who's completely unrelated from the game. You just need them to watch. Right. Technically, I mean, look at shows like Fear Factor. Those people don't have fun, but they can win right. prizes, right? But they're not supposed to have fun because the less fun they have, the more people want to watch that show, right? I wonder if there's a spectrum there where it's like the more money you give away, the less fun your contestants are going to can have. Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. Like Wheel of Fortune, can... on a good day, you're going to win 40 grand. Uh, and you probably have a lot of fun playing, even though there's yeah, some yep. stuff about that. Like whoever gets the prize puzzle probably wins the whole game. Right, right. Uh, Survivor, but, not going to be fun. It's going to be torture. But, but hey, six figures. Bucks, right, you know? Yep. And maybe a book deal later, right? Right, right. Um, you know, that's the thing. You either want to be really good at Survivor or so bad that everyone hates you because mm-hmm. then you can write a book. So, you know. Exactly. You need to be the guy that pretended that his grandma died while he was on the show mm-hmm. or whatever, so that he could he not get kicked off. Was that? Yes, yeah, yes. way back in the day. He does wrestling. He did wrestling for a while too, didn't he? He certainly did. Yeah. Um, so, and uh, and that reference is twice as old as either of our shows. So uh, <laughs> uh, that's super. What's fun. funny is I never actually I was not aware of that happening until after it happened. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, but I was like, wow, like awful. But conniving and genius and a good way to make yourself popular afterwards, you know, it's like the original like real world San Francisco. I don't think that was the first real world. I think it was the second, but it's the like one the we one, all remember. Right. The one with Puck. Yeah, exactly. I was yeah. going to say one of the people you always remember is Puck because he was the villain. Yeah. You know, he picked um, his nose and then ate out of the peanut butter jar with his finger. That's gross. I still remember that to this day. Yeah. So uh, I, I'm reviled as we speak. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm dry heaving here. Um, but. Um, somebody in the discord also mentioned, uh, that, uh, moderated experiences are a difference when you're designing some of these things. So your escape room, your game show, both moderated experiences, a role-playing game is a moderated experience, even though you, you would kind of consider generally not always consider the game master in most, but not all they're a player. They're just a player that plays a different role. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which is uncommon in board games, but not unheard of. Right. I think we see it less. I think there was more of it back in the day. Like some of those original game show games were like one person will be the moderator. Yeah, you still you see know? that to this day. Is like sometimes oh, in game show games, okay. okay. The supermarket sweep game, which I like a lot, um, that came out based on the Leslie Jones version, has one. Oh wow, yeah, yeah. So that is new. Yeah. As a host, I loved that game, and that, that actually did some fun sort of timed things in the sweep mm-hmm. round, um, where you dump all the groceries on the table and you have to kind of sift through them to find the things to put in your cart. And it's a time, nice real time experience. Cool. And actually it was, it was a lot of fun when we played it. Um, but also an example of that sort of old school mentality that I, I think a lot of game show games have been trying to design out um, and let everybody be yeah. part of the mm-hmm. experience. So you use apps that can kind of automated moderate for you. Right. So you mm-hmm. see some of that sometimes. Um, but 
you know, but that creates the design challenge of now you're designing two sets of rules with a moderator. If you're in an RPG experience, um, because you have to tell the moderator how to do things and load that up for them and then tell the players what they're going to do. Um, and in a board game experience, generally, unless it's like an asymmetric game, everybody's playing by the same set of parameters, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so you don't have the benefit of somebody who is guiding the experience and making right. the players right. more comfortable. And so you really have to strongly consider your audience's needs. Like everybody needs to be able to understand this. Everybody mm-hmm. needs to be able to work through this. So, you know, how are we going to present these rules and how are we going to write these? Because you don't have a moderator to shift some of that cognitive load onto. Yes. That's, yes. that's the other thing. Like, especially you, know, you think about an escape room, the person knows what's next, what's next, what's next about mm-hmm. where you are at in the game. And they know if they need to accelerate you or let you sit and, and eat up time. Um, you know, game show experience, you've got, you know, somebody who has to explain the rules in like 30 seconds and then make rulings on the fly acting as a judge, even though there's judges off stage too. Right. Right. It's um, just pretending, but, but game show experiences are generally easy breezy because you don't have to explain all the rules to the whole game at once. You're just explaining like the next round. Right. Yep. Yeah. Just yeah. enough. A lot of times that on, on round, right. Yep. And then, you know, it's it's people off stage are taking care of a lot of the like moving of the parts around and things. Whereas in a board game, you're moving all the chits and you're moving, taking through the cards. And, and right, right. so you need to explain how to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to just stand there and I'm going to show you something and you answer the question. Um, was Jeopardy always television screens or did it was it like originally like 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 the um, where the clues popped up? Physical or was props? It- yeah, so, or was it originally physical props? Art Fleming Jeopardy, uh-huh. uh, the first original run in the uh, in the seventies, uh, is a physical prop. So actually, a okay. curtain pulls back, uh, and there's these drop cards that will cover up. Okay, uh, or they would like pull it up and away to reveal the clue. Uh, so it was okay. all like hand painted physical props. Right, um, and then Final Jeopardy, they would set a thing on their podium and they're all seated, uh, mm-hmm. which looks a little weird if, if you're not used to it. And Art Fleming will flip up to reveal their answer and then flip again to reveal their wager. So it's like a little flip book that they write on as okay. opposed to the light Interesting. pens. Interesting, yeah. Um, and so in modern yeah. Jeopardy, they went to the television screens and that technology of course evolved over time. And now mm-hmm. when you watch Jeopardy and they're showing the full view of the game board, that's actually a computer generated image. That's not a camera pointed at the board. Um, really? They're, they're oh, simulating wow. that part of it. Although the real board is in the studio, it's just right. a little cleaner for TV for them to go to that and then hit the button to zoom in on the clue. So um, that is amazing. Yeah. Wow. You know a lot about Jeopardy. So yeah, it's impressive. Jeopardy is, is impressive to me just as a game anyway, but I think it's the closest in terms of design to a board game in the sense that it's it's designed so that skilled players will always win, right? Mm-hmm. It's got a catch the leader mechanic. Mm-hmm. Um, the rules are really tight. Um, and, you know, it's certainly showy, um, but there's not a lot of, like, gimmicks in it, right? Right, right. right. No, I mean, and there's there's no 
player elimination with the exception of if you're a negative or if you're a zero or lower, you can't do final Jeopardy. But that's fine because you're not going to win anyways. It doesn't matter, right? right? So, yeah. I, I think player elimination, I'm glad you bring that up because I think that's a big one between game shows and uh, board games. Board games, player elimination now is kind of persona non grata, right? Like, it, mm-hmm. And I believe yeah. that there's an exception to every rule, right? There's games where player mm-hmm. elimination would be fine. But, oh, um, yeah, there are games where player elimination is fine. The right. quick games that eliminate players still are made to this day. Right. But um, longer but it's games not, do. We've, no. we've kind of <laughs> learned that, like, player elimination, lose a turn, that kind of thing, are, are not yes. great yeah. unless you know what you're doing. Whereas on a television show, you know, what a way to build tension for the home audience, right? Like, uh, this mm-hmm. person survived to the next round. They overcame, Right. Uh, right. or or now we can cut a little bit of time because now we only have two people giving answers instead of three right you know and right. so yeah another example of where something that is you would never do or almost never do in a board game is something you frequently see in uh, in a television game show experience i wonder if there's like a an always do never do for an escape room we could think of like what is something you always see in an escape room you almost never see in board games or vice versa well, I mean, complete lack of replayability. Right. <laughs> there is that. Um, right. You know, I think that um, I think that one of the things is that um, the rules in an escape room both have to be like loose and incredibly tight. Right. I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things is the rules don't really matter. Right. The rules are general. They're mm-hmm. like, you know, when I was did escape, they'll be like, hey, don't take anything off the walls. This is like, this is real stuff on the walls. Leave it there. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything else you can touch, right? Anything else you can move, remove, but please try not to break stuff on purpose. That's not cool. Um, that sort of thing, right? Um, but I think that like, I, I think that one of the things you absolutely see is kind of that emergent gameplay of people solving things in their own way. I know the last escape room I did when we got done, we said, what was this thing? Like, what was this thing? We kept trying to figure out this like light gun you would shoot at these targets. Like, what was that about? And they're like, Oh, it was to get this code. And like, they were like, you actually figured it out on your own. Cause we couldn't, we were like, we, we were like, I don't know. I guess we'll just guess what colors the order this goes mm. in because we can't find a clue. We had found the numbers, but apparently there was a specific order and the first order we tried worked. So we were like, oh, it was just that. Okay. There you go. Because I think we were like, this is the order we found the numbers in, which there was not the correct. It was random. Yeah. And we happened to get it correct, right? But um, um, I think you raised an excellent point there, though, because that's certainly a design challenge that you see in escape rooms is that it's a sandbox, right? Mm-hmm. You You want people to get guided along either a certain path or a certain set of branching paths to get from Mm -hmm. A to B. Right. Um, But you also, there's no like phases, right? There's no like, you know, first you do this and then you do this. It's that you go in and you do what you want to do and you try to figure things out and and Mm -hmm. you're trying to almost figure out the rules of the game as you go in some ways. But whereas, and, and so because of that, escape room designers i remember being in an escape room when we were talking about brute forcing the last number and that's Mm -hmm. a conversation that sometimes comes up in this facebook group i'm in where there's a lot of opinions about is that quote-unquote ethical to do right Um, yep yep you know and and some smart people uh you know scott nicholson is one of them will say just don't design that into your game like just design that out 
because yeah, yeah. if a player pays for that experience and then does it, that's on the room. That's not on. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The first know. one I went to, there was a, there was a three digit code and this. One of the people was like, I'm just going to start trying numbers. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was the first escape I've ever done. I was like, sounds like a plan. Yep. He never did figure it out. That's when we got, we found the correct numbers. But here is one thing that you see in pretty much every single escape room that you rarely see in board games, a hard time limit. Yeah. Like in a board game, it says you're going to play this in 30 to 45 minutes, but I mean, it could take you and 20 it really means 45 to 90, half, right? Like... <laughs> yeah. Depends on who you're playing with. Right. Yeah. But an escape room, you will be done at this amount of time or less. Right? right. And like you said, their goal is to keep you in there as close as they can to that thing. I, my guess is most escape rooms, probably if in a 60 minute game, they want you in there 45 to, to 59 minutes. Right. To That's borrow goal, a right? phrase from a game show as close as you can without going over. Right. Yes. Um, right, yes. Although some rooms will let you take a little bit of garbage time if there's not a booking right behind you. Right. But then. Oh, will they? Okay. Yeah. Depending on the room and the facility. But, you know, if they're back to back or if they're just the kind of place that, like, doesn't want to work an extra 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, if if they're re- if you're real close and there's nobody behind you, they might say, okay, stay an extra 10 minutes and we'll give you some nudges and we'll let you right. see the rest of the experience. We had, when and, we were down to, like, yeah. 50, we were at 53 minutes and we were close. We were, like, we know we're close in this one escape room. And the lady was, like you know, can I give you a nudge? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And she was like, blah, 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 try this. And we figured it out. And she was like, I just knew you were so close, but if I didn't give you a nudge, there was literally no way you were going to make it in seven minutes. She's like, yeah. and you were so close that I wanted you to win. Right. And I was like, I appreciate that. Like, she was like, you figured it out. You, we literally missed one thing. Mm-hmm. And because of that, we were going to lose. And that wasn't fun. Right. Um. So, so yeah, so she gave us the nudge to help us do it. And I I thought that was cool. Yeah. But when we turn that on its head and talk about board games, right, there's generally that expectation, like we talked about earlier, I've drawn up these rules and you're going to follow this path. And then when you see folks find those Eurekas or so-called Eurekas where they like, uh, I figured out an exploit, I figured out. Mm-hmm. I, I, what am I trying to say? I think what I'm trying to say is like, we've all been at that table with the person that says, nobody says you can't do this action right? or do it this way. Um, and it's frowned upon to tread outside of those uh, lines. Right. And, and people are saying, what are you doing? You're supposed to do it this way. Whereas in an escape room, uh, it's go do whatever you can think of. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of debate in the community, but the general consensus is that's the room owner's uh, onus to if, if somebody finds a unique, clever solution, you either mm-hmm. applaud them for finding the clever solution or you figure out how to unbreak that game. Right, um, right. But you, you uh, remind if, me of the air bud rule, right? There's no. It, yeah, it exactly. There's no rule that say says dog can't play can't, basically, can't basketball, play. Right, and baseball, you know, I mean, whatever. Yeah, every um, sport. I'm pretty sure. Every sport. I don't know about um, hockey. I feel like Airbud would have been real bad at hockey. Yeah, like, I wouldn't be surprised if there was an Airbud hockey movie. But yeah, uh, that's true. But yeah, but if you try to Airbud a board game, people don't like that. Like right, if you start right. behaving in ways that are antithetical right. to the spirit of the game, um, right? You know that sort of thing. It's funny. It made me think of an unspoken rule in board games that it, that I've never seen in a board game. Um, other than like professional tournament style, like chess or something like how many times in a board game have you been playing probably with your spouse, right? 
and you're learning a game and they do something like, oh, I would have not done that if I'd realized this thing that should have been obvious to me, but I just missed it. And you're like, that's fine. Take it back. Just just redo it. Like, yeah, like my wife and I are very big on gimmies like that because because like I always say, like it was we, we used to play Splendor a lot and I like beat her at Splendor for a year straight. She never won. We played two, three times a week. She never won. And then she won one time and now she routinely kicks my butt at Splendor. Um, but like it was funny because, you know, I remember like I was like, no, no, take it back. Redo it. And she's like, she's like, are you trying to make it? So that if I win, you can say it wasn't real. And I'm like, no, I'm trying to make it so that if so that if I do beat you, I beat you at your best, (laughs) you know, like, because that's exactly. And, you know, and obviously there's different me as sort of expectations in different game groups. But that's pretty common that, like, as long as you're not 10 turns away from it or as long as you've not learned information that would have changed your decision. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That you just unwind it a little bit. Because people but, want to play against each other at right, their best, right. but it's also about I want to be the best at this game today, yeah, right? Yeah. Whereas yeah. in an escape room, it's I want to see the ending, like it's a right. movie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but what I was getting at there was I've never seen rules in a board game that says you may never agree to step back, right? Except for like chess, like you took your hand off it, you played that move, done. Mm-hmm. Like there's no take backs on that. But that's because, again, it's it's regulated. It's a tournament. It needs to be a certain way. It's know? about the incentives, right? Like once right. once there's money involved, right? Right. Uh, right. Then uh, you know, not every sport is curling, where people <laughs> call their own fouls and they're super nice to each other, right? It's uh, you know, once right, you have right. real live stakes on the line, then it changes all that calculus. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And it sure does. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think those are some interesting differences between, you know, what you get to think about when you're designing these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Awesome. So, I'm just going to look in the discord to see if there's anything in, we kind of haven't covered and, uh, and apologize that I haven't been calling out names. I've just been kind of into the conversation, but it's, it's in the discord. You know who you are. Uh, John says learning and enforcing your own rules is a important one than board games anyway so that's mm-hmm. that's different. Mm-hmm. um so uh heather talked about uh when you're playing an escape room or puzzle that's not a tabletop experience people easily end up skipping those instructions like don't pry anything off the walls and need an actual human moderator instead of just a rule book right um right <laughs> oh here's here's a good one from john Schaefer. tabletop play i think is a unique medium in that people can consume it wrong uh oh my gosh that's funny yeah which is absolutely true i think we talked about like intentionally um breaking those rules uh or Uh redesigning it but you can also just screw it up in a board game and so that's unfortunately how do i minimize the possibility of people screwing this up yeah and you can actually do it really wrong and really make it not fun and miss the fun of a game because you didn't get a piece of it I, when you're, you're thinking about, you know, the escape room needs a moderator. Cause you say, don't pull stuff off walls and people do it anyways. The, the first escape room I was in, I was in the first escape room with a bunch of idiots, but um, <laughs> it was this next thing. So like this, uh, this dude, like this, the room starts, we're going and this dude, all of a sudden is like, is like looking at all this stuff on this table. Like, where do you get that from? He's like, oh, I dumped it out of this purse that was over here. And somebody's like, that's my purse. What are you doing? <laughs> And he's like, oh, I thought it was a prop in the room. Like, really? <laughs> Moron. 
Like, first of all, she carried it in with us. Like, you work with her. You see her every day carry it to her desk. Like, this is not like a secret thing here. So anyways, that's one of my favorite uh, escape room stories. That's like, a great story. What are you doing? Um, I'll just quickly call out Emily, too, for bringing RPGs into the conversation. Uh, that's like a third of this hour, which wouldn't have happened if she'd not brought it up. So thank yes, you, Emily, yes. for bringing that up. Um, yes. Uh, so we have i was talking to somebody today about we have the most amazing group of people in this discord with so many talents and they're just super awesome people who all contribute and help each other and uh it's one of the coolest things that this podcast has ever done and i didn't even really do it it just happened and then i jumped back into it like and it's amazing so uh yeah i love it you know in, in all seriousness uh the building the game community is amazing uh and it's just so amazing that we've been doing this for 571 episodes know, right and, right uh you know and i think it's the kind of thing that just smart people are drawn to and those smart people draw more smart people so it's, it's i enjoy the discord a lot yeah yeah um, no me know, too I, i'll uh not post like all the time but i like i read it uh pretty frequently mm -hmm. and i love jumping into a conversation now and then because it's cool me too yeah me too so many times i'm not like reading it live so I don't always respond because I go back and I'll like read through everything. So like, you know, Oh, this reply I, would have been killer 16 right, hours right. ago, but now yeah. I'm just breaking the flow of the conversation. Right. right. Uh, I saw you did understand my reference today about the scorpion in the box, which yes. Kelly has been hiding around my house, which is That's great. some old school BTG stuff there. He, for the first time ever, I, that has been going around for gosh, probably seven, eight years now. I, for the first time ever today was startled by a scorpion that someone placed it's never happened to me he put it in my dog's treat bowl what so i opened the treat bowl to get treats out and it's dark in there as i was reaching in there was this just dark shadow and i went ha ah! and then i was like oh, oh i have here yeah. i have uh behind me you can't it's like right where my thumb is pointing it's a bullet bill that i 3d printed and it opens to store stuff so i just keep a scorpion in there <laughs> everybody somebody says this opens i'm like oh yeah it's cool it opens and they open and they go ah so and i had done that to kelly the last time he was here which made him he found all the scorpions that he had that i had given him over the years like sticking in his backpack and stuff and he uh brought them and didn't tell me and just started sticking them around my house so well played sir well played. by the idea of bullet bills that also explode into scorpions <laughs> right <laughs> That is not the Super Mario Brothers I signed up for. Right. This is that's far the, more the horrifying. That's the, that's the Pecos Bill, right? <laughs> <laughs> Wild West Bill with the Scorpion Farm. Um, All right. Well, hey, this has been a super duper fun discussion, man. It's it's always you're one of my favorite people to have on. So I always am excited when you want to come on the show. And this one's been a long time coming because you reached out a while back and we we're like, we got to schedule this. And then Not we too did long it. ago, it's, you know, maybe six, seven weeks ago, but yeah, then we have, yeah. we both have lives and children and stuff. So it's, it's, yeah, I, it's I am tough. very happy uh, to have been on. Uh, this is one of my favorite shows to be of in on of in and <laughs> with, uh, but seriously, uh, it's building the game, man. It's, it's such longevity. Uh, really fun crew in the Discord, and always good to catch up with my dear friend and, and podcast brethren from way back in the lofty time of 2012. Uh, you too. When, when you we too. were coming up through the ranks, yes. and uh, 
and cutting our teeth and and still recording using Skype. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, we thing. were. Oh my gosh. Um, uh, so good stuff. Well, hey, listeners, I really hope you enjoyed this convo. Thanks for everyone who contributed in the Discord. That was super helpful. I should really be posting more often in the Discord to say like, hey, we're going to talk about this. You know, give us your feedback. Instead, I'm like, hey, give us your feedback in Discord afterwards. And then people do. Uh, but it would be better to have this stuff there because you used to have to tweet for questions and that sucked because very few people responded. And the ones that did, it was never helpful. It was well, always like tweeting Matt is like Riddle, writing on like, the side of a, you know, you know moving bus. Like, right. yeah, it's, it's true. Yeah. You know, it's it's one of those things is like you're lucky if people even see it. It's true. Uh, so, it's true. so having Especially that built in community is, is real good. It is. But if you want to get in touch with us, you can, of course, go to buildinggamepodcast.com. There you can find a link to our Discord. You can come check out what we're all talking about because it's awesome. You can also email us at buildinggamepodcast at gmail.com. And, of course, you can find us on the Twitter at PodcastBTG, at J.A. Slingerland, and at TableFlipsU. That's right. And, of course, you can keep coming back every single week. But until next time, good night. Good night, everybody! Building the game, building the game, with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends. Building the game, building the game, with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends. The end of the episode, that's when it technically ends.